0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. I'm Dave James. Sports betting is likely coming soon to Ohio. The Ohio Senate passed a bill in June allowing it, and the Ohio House could take it up next month. In a moment, I'll talk with someone from a group that wants to see changes in the Senate's version that passed 30-2. to 2. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Karina Nova takes a look at the situation in Afghanistan and talks to somebody locally who served there and to professors in Ohio who talk about what's happening there as well as about the plight of Afghan women now that the Taliban are back in control. She'll also present an interview with Morgan Harper, a Democrat who recently announced she's running for the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Republican Rob Portman. And in about 50 minutes, we'll present an update on the coronavirus situation in Ohio with State Health Department Director Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff. First up on Columbus Perspective, I'm on the phone with David Corey. He's the Executive Vice President of the Bowling Centers Association of Ohio. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well, Dave. Thanks a lot for having me on this morning.
0: Thanks for talking to us. Tell us about the Bowling Centers Association. What is it?
1: Well, the Bowling Centers Association is made up of approximately 200 Bowling Center proprietors in the state of Ohio. Um, they've been around for, shoot, over 100 years, and uh, they work primarily as an association for educational purposes on you know marketing bowling. Um, they've hired me to monitor legislation. Um, They have an annual conference. They conduct tournaments, and they're very big in high school bowling. A few years ago, um, we were charged with trying to get high school bowling as a letter sport. So we work with the Ohio Ohio High School Athletic Association, and it's been one of the fastest-growing sports at the high school level. And the main reason for that, Dave, is, as you can imagine, you don't have to be – Six foot six and or weigh two hundred and forty pounds to bowl.
0: I, I think that as a sport is fantastic, and uh, and this has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. But I bowled a lot as a kid. I don't do it so much anymore, although I always enjoy it when I do. And I knew a kid in high school who weighed easily three hundred pounds or more, and he was the best bowler that I knew outside of the PBA. He was amazing, and. Right. I just think that that kind of a sport where kids of absolutely all walks of life can enjoy it and excel at it, you never know who's going to be good at it, it's just a fantastic sport.
1: No, it really is, and uh, more and more colleges now have uh, bowling scholarships. So, you know, just high school bowling, you don't end it right there. You can actually go to college on a, on a bowling scholarship. So it's, it's really neat to see how it's really grown at that level.
0: It's tremendous. And this particular business and, and other businesses on the local level have a stake in what we're going to talk about, which is the sports betting or sports gaming legislation that's at the midway point in the Ohio legislature. It, absolutely. Absolutely gaming policy
1: in the state of Ohio, we've always been proponents, really, since 1994, when Governor Voinovich created the first gaming study commission to review gaming policies in the state of Ohio. And our position has been, since that time, has been that if gaming is going to be expanded in the state of Ohio, then let Ohio's small businesses in the hospitality industry, participate in, in, in gaming uh, because for example uh, the lottery is what it is today because of local small hospitality businesses you know we've done very well in terms of Keno for example if you look at some of the highest grossing uh, kino locations in the state of Ohio they are bowling centers and your larger uh, sports bars And so, again, when we see this opportunity for sports betting now to come to Ohio, because, you know, we missed out on casinos. Ohio, um, you know, again, back in 1994, we urged the legislature at that time and the administration to take control of gaming policy in Ohio, and they didn't. Um, And what happened? The casinos came in, spent $60 million dollars, promised new buildings promised thousands and thousands of jobs uh, promised uh, you know big revenue numbers to the state and they fought their way into the constitution and when you look at the history of what they promised and what they delivered it, it hasn't matched up at all they fa- they've fallen well short of their promises in terms of jobs in terms of tax revenue to the state of Ohio. In fact, Ohio is one, has one of the lowest tax rates on casinos in the entire country.
0: You know, when we talk about uh, the level of participation that bowling centers and bars can take place with this, is there a, a limited number of them who might be involved as the legislation stands, or could they all be involved if they pay a fee? How, how is it set up right now?
1: Well, the way it's set up right now, again, it's more towards um, what the casinos and the racinos and the sports teams want to do with their licenses. They, they have, uh, the way the bill's drafted now, their licenses uh, afford them the opportunity to do more things and to potentially place this equipment. So the answer to your question is, um, as it's written, it will probably only go towards those locations that are the high-grossing locations, They'll partner with those locations versus, you know, the mom and pop, you know, the the, the 14-lane bowling center in, in Coldwater, Ohio, um, you know, that may not do the volume, but they do a good Keno business and they do a good lottery business. That's why it seems to be short-sighted not to uh, be able to use current lottery equipment. Um, the way the bill is written now. There has to be a minimum of three manufacturers to provide kiosks to hospitality establishments. Well, our first question is, what if there's never three manufacturers that want to provide a kiosk? Then none of our guys get kiosks at all. Okay, that's number one. Number two, it has to be a standalone piece of equipment. Well, there's only so much space in a bowling center, and now you're going to roll in a standalone sports betting kiosk? You know, right now, currently, there are approximately 2,100 Keno machines in the state of Ohio where you can go up and you can play Keno, an actual kiosk where you can play Keno one-on-one. Those can be retrofitted with a software upgrade, to take sports bets in, in really literally two weeks. Hmm. So you're looking at the expediency of that because one of our other issues with the Senate bill that passed is that we want to make sure that the green light for go for sports betting happens at the same time for everyone. Um, obviously, the DraftKings and your FanDuel – they can just turn on the app and turn on their uh, geo positioning, and you can bet on your phone immediately. And, and we all realize, and Dave, you know this too, that you know ninety to ninety-five percent of all the sports betting will be conducted on people's phones. Um, that that's just been the case when you see this expansion throughout the country right now. Right. So, the other 5 to 10% is going to be captured by the casinos and the racinos with their sports books. And now the professional sports teams are going to have sports books. And I don't know about you, but I think that could potentially is a conflict, but I haven't do- dove into that that much. Um, you know, where are these sports books going to be? Are they going to be in their, in their arenas, in their stadiums? Or if they can't be due to NFL and NBA and professional soccer regulations or, or major league baseball, maybe it's in a it's in a new facility that they're going to build across the street. Well what about the bar that's been there across the street for decades? You know, why wouldn't he be able to put uh you know have a kino kiosk run by the lottery for sports betting? Unfortunately, even though they say that there's a lot in it for local businesses, there's really not. Because it really truly does not afford an opportunity for small D permit establishments, you know, on-premise liquor permit establishments like bowling centers um, to, to really get involved in this because the casinos and now the sports teams, the professional sports teams in Ohio, will truly control the licenses and they will, from what we've seen in other states, put machines in only the best locations. That's why we are big proponents of having the Ohio Lottery Commission be the regulatory entity for sports betting.
0: Talking with David Corey, he's the executive vice president of the the Bowling Center's Association of Ohio. Previously, I mean, this whole piece of legislation about sports betting was hung up the last time around in the General Assembly because of the disagreements about whether the Lottery Commission or the Ohio Casino Control Commission would run it, right?
1: yes it, it was it did and i don't think either entity you know matters it doesn't matter to them i mean they're all public servants so they're not going to weigh in on what the better fit is but again we think the lottery is the better fit especially now that they've um uh, approved this new school funding formula uh, but it's a, a temporary funding formula they, they really need to make sure that it's uh, that's a funny formula that they can keep together uh, for just longer than a few years. And and we think this sports betting should be there so that they have, the lottery has another revenue source.
0: So uh, a few months ago, we talked with the fair gaming coalition of Ohio and you're associated with that. And again, similar take on it was the idea that even though it may be a small piece of the pie, the idea is to get lots of small businesses involved in this.
1: Yes, absolutely. The, Pie is a big pie. And all we're really asking for is a very, very small piece of the pie. All we're really looking at for Ohio small business hospitality businesses on these kino kiosks are maybe five percent or less of the total market. And and you're telling me the way that the Senate bill is crafted that is really totally skewed towards the casinos, the racinos and the sports teams. No, they won't even give up four percent, maybe five percent of the market. It just doesn't seem right when we're the ones that have that are creating local jobs. Um, we're we're uh, we're creating the tax base. We're, we're we're the ones who made the the lottery what it is today with selling tickets, um, scratch offs, etc. Um, And and it just doesn't seem like the legislature – you know, the legislature always talk a great game about helping small businesses in Ohio. But here we have an issue that could help small businesses by putting people in their seats and keeping people in their seats, but they're not doing it the right way. Um, It's like, okay, guys, let's put your money where your mouth is finally – and and they're not doing it, and it, it's very disappointing. Our members are very frustrated with the members of the General Assembly because this is low-hanging fruit for them. Um, it, it truly is for the members of the General Assembly. You know, you have a potential of 10,000-plus small businesses, bars, restaurants, and bowling centers that have all suffered during the pandemic. And as the lottery broke records month after month, these last, you know, this last 18 months. And, and when the casinos opened, they're breaking records this summer and over the spring when they open. You know, they're breaking records every month. They made more money than they did two years ago. Um, but our, our uh, small businesses, hospitality uh, Saudi business and Boeing centers, we're not breaking any records at all. In fact, it's the complete opposite. So that's why we want to offer sports betting through Keno Kiosk through the lottery, that will really help businesses bring customers in the door and then keep them in the
0: door, too. Talking with David Corey, Executive Vice President of the Bowling Centers Association of Ohio. Well, this bill, then, it was passed in the Senate uh, in June, 30 to 2. Uh, It's a 266-page bill, as it was introduced. And you testified. What was your take on how they reacted to the things that you were saying
1: well as i kind of alluded to a little bit ago dave they're all shaking their heads up and down and you know they're all saying yes we need to help small businesses in ohio but when you look at the at the language and you you know you read between the lines and you know no offense to the sponsors they did a a heck of a job um in dealing with an issue that I think they felt was a little more a little bit more complicated than it is and they did kind of make it more complicated than it is. But again, all the support in the world for Ohio's small businesses, but you know, the eventual when they finally pass the bill, it just it just falls short, unfortunately. Um they think that it's gonna do Good things, but it just falls short. They made it much more difficult. Heck, they have a license fee. You know, we get lottery devices for nothing. um, You know, because the commission level is so low too. Uh, You know, and now they want to have us have a you know pay for a license to have a sports betting kiosk. It just doesn't. It seems like you know they they quote give you a scrap over here and then they kind of you know they kind of kick you over here or punch you in the mouth uh, you know with their other hand. It could really be fixed with a couple simple amendments, and we're really hoping that House members and the House members that we've spoken to really seem to understand what we're talking about. And we hope that the Speaker um, can direct their members to make this bill more palatable for Ohio's small hospitality business moving forward.
0: Well, the House is certainly a different dynamic because you've got 99 members, and therefore you've got a lot more folks in the House that are from small towns who would, you would think would better identify with what you're talking about.
1: You're absolutely right, Dave, that there are triple the members in the, in the House um, that we have to educate regarding this issue um, and really bring it home that this has to be crafted in a way that it's not totally skewed towards the big boys. It's almost as if, you know, the casinos and racinos and the sports teams almost wrote this bill themselves and then at the last minute they said, Oh, you know, let's put this in for Ohio small businesses because, you know, we're not the the big bad wolf. You know, we're we're not we're not gonna take their business. You know, it's just impossible to do it. And we're just gonna have to do a better job educating the members in the House that this needs to be changed and it really does and again, I think the Speaker would be open to this because he was the one who crafted this new school funding formula. I would think that he would want this to be run through the lottery so so all the proceeds go into the lottery education fund. I mean, I, I, I would just assume that he would be more in favor of it um, going through the lottery.
0: What is your uh, take on, and I know this can change at any given moment once the legislature comes back in session, but is it your impression that they're going to want to try to hammer something out in a hurry or what?
1: Boy, Dave, you know, I've been doing this for 32 years, and, I, I, you know, maybe 32 years ago my our crystal ball was a lot clearer than it is today. But it, it is so unclear um, lately on which way this legislature is going to go. Um, sometimes you think that it's going to go one way, and then they do the, almost the complete opposite So, to me, from what I'm hearing, it doesn't sound like this is a huge priority in the House. However, there are members in the House that are influential, that some are even in leadership in the House, that really want to get this done sooner rather than later because, you know, they may or may not have an interest in the Senate version. I mean, we have some members of the General Assembly— that are attorneys that work for law firms that represent casinos and racinos. Now to me I, that never smelled right to me. Um and 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 I'm not accusing anyone of doing anything, but it you know, that's not a good look and, and you know, even even thirty years ago that wasn't a good look, let alone today. Um and some of those people are kind of driving this train a little bit. Um I don't think the speaker is I know I'm probably going to, but I don't think this is a huge issue.
0: it's funny because Ohio, you know, you mentioned George Voinovich, and back in the 90s, uh, Ohio just repeatedly efforts to get casinos in the state failed, and Governor Voinovich was a leading force against them. But in more recent years, when people have softened about that stand, there's Indiana that has always been a step ahead of Ohio when it comes to these kind of issues with the casinos and the sports betting, and especially for businesses and folks along that Ohio, Indiana line—that's a significant issue, including Cincinnati.
1: There's, there's no doubt about it. You know, there's with the geofencing, You know, you have to be over in Indiana, you know, to bet on their app, etc. Um, you know, you can't do it when you're in Ohio. Uh, so we are losing. We are losing. Ohio is losing dollars, losing tax dollars. But I think it's worth waiting to make sure we do it the right way uh, to help the brick and mortar. Um, hospitality establishments that really have made the lottery what it is today, uh, because we've been shut out of everything else. Again, if the lottery does eye lottery, why would anybody want to leave their house to go buy a lottery ticket? Um, and again, we don't make a ton on you know that uh, that person uh, buying that lottery ticket, but he's going in buying lottery ticket and he's maybe buying something else, an ancillary sale, we call it. Um, that's what's important to our members. Maybe they're bowling that extra game. Uh, maybe they're um, you know, buying that extra beverage and, or buying that candy bar, that type of thing if it's a convenience store or something like that. Right. So that's why you know, lottery worries us. You've got sports betting that worries us. Um, you know you got these the e bingo machines and fraternal and veterans clubs that worries us and you've got all these competing factors and products and then here you are with the entities that made the lottery what it is today and made them a lot of money and we're kind of being left out in the cold when they could easily throw us a throw us a bone by letting us have lottery kiosks. See when you look at this globally Dave. That's what's been missing. Everyone wants to look at every of every one of these issues in, in a silo by themselves and say, oh, well, this won't affect. Yeah, but when you add it all up, there's a big impact on our members in the, in the hospitality world. It, it's a big impact because it's all these things all at once.
0: Talking with David Corey, executive vice president of the Bowling Centers Association of Ohio Uh, David, if folks want more information online or anything else that you want to convey to them about this, uh, what would you say to them?
1: Well, I would ask them to do a couple of things if they would. And that is, number one, call your local legislator, call your local House member, uh, call the governor's office and let them know that you want to make sure that your local bar, tavern, your local bowling center a kino kiosk that has sports betting on it. Uh, that would be very, very important. And uh, they can always look up on our website, um, uh, bowlohio.com, and, and and get a hold of me that way, and we'd be more than happy to, to talk to anybody about this issue um, because it really is an important issue. Because, Dave, if not now... And if not sports betting on kiosks that are run by the lottery, then what and when? There's nothing left. After this issue, there's nothing left in the gaming market. And once again, Ohio's small businesses will be shut out. It just doesn't seem right to me.
0: David Corey, Executive VP of the Bowling Center's Association of Ohio. Uh, David, thanks so much for your time and the information today.
1: Well, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate uh, you contacting me, and you have a good rest of the day.
2: Thanks for listening. Columbus Perspective is a public
0: affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Karina Nova from 10 TV's Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
3: The U.S. race to rescue Americans and allies from Afghanistan after the Taliban takeover. We look back at a monumental week for the Middle East and a big test for President Joe Biden.
4: We've got many thousands of Afghan allies and their immediate family members that are still stuck in Afghanistan. Many have been killed. Uh, The rest have targets on their backs uh, by the Taliban.
5: It'll go down in history as the way not to do a withdrawal.
3: A veteran and former Ohio politician is weighing in on the crisis in Afghanistan, who he says is to blame. In the race for the U.S. Senate, why the name Morgan Harper might sound familiar. Face the State starts now. Video and images are surfacing from Afghanistan. They're tough to watch. A young girl begged American soldiers to let her into the Kabul airport. Desperate Afghans tried to leave the country after the Taliban took over. We are hearing from veterans, politicians, and professors about how we got to this point and where we go from here. Thank you for joining us. I'm Karina Nova. Tracy is off. The Taliban quickly took control in Afghanistan once U.S. troops and allies moved out. So for the U.S., the focus should to getting Americans out.
4: We are absolutely focused on this mission of national importance. We are committed to the safe evacuation of as many people as quickly and as safely as
2: possible.
3: So why did the United States invade Afghanistan in the first place? Al-Qaeda had been targeting Americans for years, but the September 11th attacks on America were the biggest catalyst. The U.S. identified the Islamist militant group Al-Qaeda and its leader Osama bin Laden as those responsible. Bin Laden was in Afghanistan under the protection of the Taliban. Former President George W. Bush demanded the Taliban hand him over. That never happened, so the U.S. launched Operation Enduring Freedom. The Taliban collapsed, but later the group had a resurgence. The U.S. sent more troops in. In 2011, Osama bin Laden was killed, but the Taliban made gains and the U.S. recently withdrew. With that backdrop, thousands of U.S. veterans were shocked to see the government fall, especially so quickly, and it might seem like we're back where we started. 10TV's Kevin Landers has their perspective. Tom
2: Porter spent a year in Kabul, Afghanistan. He says he saw firsthand how the U.S. military presence in the region provided Afghan people with freedoms they'd never had before. In 2001, there were 3,000 young men in college in
4: Afghanistan. And um, just months ago, it was uh, over 300,000 women
2: and men Despite a 20-year presence in the region, the U.S. military's role to train the Afghan army to fight against the Taliban didn't work, and the capital, Kabul, fell faster than anyone imagined. Retired U.S. Army Colonel Peter Mansour is a professor of U.S. military history at Ohio
6: State. Well, it's a massive failure. Uh, The American military should be able to do better, Uh, but then again, we can provide them all the weapons and training and equipment and advice that we can give them in the end it's up to them to be able to administer their military and have the courage to fight
4: in the end they didn't uh, they didn't. Um, they didn't fight for their country in the end.
2: The absence of the U.S. military in Afghanistan leaves the lives of thousands of Afghan allies who helped as interpreters and intelligence gatherers in peril. We've got many thousands
4: of Afghan allies and their immediate family members that are still stuck in Afghanistan. Many have been killed. Uh, the rest have targets on their backs uh, by the Taliban.
6: It's going to really be a really messy situation sorting out um, who should who deserves a, uh, a seat on a transport aircraft uh, heading west and, and who needs to stay behind.
2: And for troops coming home, they too will wonder if their sacrifice
6: was worth it. I think most soldiers will be a little bit sad about um, the situation, will be very sad about the sacrifices they made, the friends they've lost, um, but they will realize that it's time to move on.
4: When you don't have the American public behind you uh, for such an important foreign policy priority that's just not sustainable.
2: Kevin Landers, 10TV News.
3: The scenes out of Afghanistan have been heartbreaking, and there's, there are people trying to help Afghans in danger to escape to safety. One local organization is doing what it can to help. Community Refugee and Immigration Services, or Chris, has someone on the ground in Virginia to help with processing. Evacuation flights have been headed to a base there and also now will land in Wisconsin. Chris's executive director says 18,000 people will have special immigration visa applications. That includes interpreters, clerks, and security detail, and there are about 50,000 of their immediate family members who will be headed here to the U.S. too.
7: I would hope people would welcome their um, these new mem- members to our community, um, welcome them with open arms, reach out and see how they might volunteer or get involved. Um, and be in contact with your elected officials and tell them that you, you care that this is America, that we're not leaving them behind. And that that is our obligation to, to, fulfill our promises
8: to them.
3: Afghans who come here to the U.S. would first go to a city where they have immediate family. If they don't, they would then pick from a list of 19 preferred cities. Cleveland is on it, but Columbus is not. However, Columbus is on the pending list of preferred cities. Chris has resettled roughly 80 people from Afghanistan in the past five or six years. There is a big concern for the women in the country. The Taliban has made some promises to protect women's rights, but many are worried the rights they've gained over the past two decades will be stripped away. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio spoke with two professors about this.
8: Both professors I spoke with used words like frustrated, angry, sad, to describe the events of the past few days. Now they're just waiting to see what happens next.
9: It's a tough situation to watch from afar. Surely.
8: I am in shock and I am very frustrated. Nuket Sandal, the chair of the political science department at Ohio University, and Joel Voss, an associate professor of political science at the University of Toledo, both describe the rights women in Afghanistan maintained under U.S. occupation. Women could, can um, go to school. Many women had expanded opportunities in public life one-third of the electorate in 2019 was women in Afghanistan. So Afghan women embraced these opportunities enthusiastically. Now, women are looking at going back to what it was like when the Taliban last occupied Afghanistan in 2001. No education and not being able to leave the home without a male escort are just a couple of examples of what they might face.
9: For younger women who have no idea, you know, about life outside of um, U.S. occupation, this is going to be a complete 180.
8: Sandal says there have already been reports of women being told to leave school and work and not return. The Taliban has promised to keep some rights for women. Both professors doubt that will happen. There is no reason to believe that the Taliban of 2021 will be any different from the Taliban of uh, 2001. I
9: can't help but wonder, like, how bad their lives are going to get
8: very quickly. I asked both professors if there was anything that we could do here at home. They said, not really. The only thing we can do is wait. Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News.
3: 10TV spoke with a former U.S. congressman from Ohio about a variety of topics, including the crisis in Afghanistan. As we've said, thousands of American troops supported the Afghan people during America's longest war. You might remember former 15th District Congressman Steve Stivers was a major general in the Ohio National Guard. He didn't serve in Afghanistan, but he did serve in Iraq. Stivers says these heroes helped women and girls be treated better. And he wants his fellow veterans to hear this message.
5: They're asking themselves, did their service matter? And the answer is yes, it did. It provided rights to people that needed them. It provided um, a a sanctuary for religious and ethnic minorities uh, where they could live their life in peace for a while.
3: Stiver says the situation in Afghanistan was handled poorly on many different levels, and he says the US now must work with the Taliban to protect human rights. As for the flawed withdrawal, Stiver says there is plenty of blame to go around.
5: From Bush to um, Obama to Trump and Biden. But the way Biden did the withdrawal is um, probably the worst way he could have done it. The American forces left in the middle of the night. They didn't tell the Afghan army. They didn't tell the Afghan government. And so the Afghan government, when they got the news, not from us, but from other people, They panicked and they crumbled. It'll go down in history as the way not to do a withdrawal.
3: As we've said, President Biden admitted the fall of Afghanistan happened more quickly than the U.S. planned, but he was standing by his decision to leave the country. Stivers is currently the president and CEO of the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. On a different topic, the chamber is criticizing legislation at the state level that would prevent employers from requiring any vaccines. He says House Bill 248 would also apply to schools, health care providers, and any other private or public entities.
5: It's not about vaccines here. It's about employment at will and eroding employers' ability to decide the terms of employment in their business And in fact, that's a slip towards socialism that, you know, we should all be a little scared about.
3: State Senator Jennifer Gross sponsors the bill. She says we cannot allow the COVID-19 vaccination to become a condition for participation in public life. This legislation is still in committee. The politics of the pandemic. Coming up, how COVID-19 and face coverings are shaping the race for Ohio's governor. And Senator Rob Portman's time in office is coming to an end. This week, a new candidate threw her name into the running. Tracy Townsend goes one-on-one with Morgan Harper up next.
6: Each year, Ohioans are injured and killed in train car accidents that could have been avoided with properly functioning gates and flashing lights. Facts show that gates and lights together prevent more train car accidents than stop signs or crossbucks alone. How can you help? Approach all crossings with caution and report bad railroad crossings at angelsontrack.org. That's angelsontrack.org. Because bad crossings kill good drivers. Sponsored by Angels on Track, aired by OAB and this station.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Karina Nova, courtesy of 10TV.
3: Welcome back. Ohio lawmakers are taking a close look at the lines that determine who sends who to Congress. State lawmakers are using data from the census to draw new lines. As we've reported, due to population changes, Ohio is expected to lose one seat in Congress. District lines are redrawn every 10 years. The federal government stipulates that districts must have nearly equal populations and must not discriminate on the basis of race or ethnicity. Several lawmakers criticized this Process, many call this gerrymandering and say it's unfair. We can do something to prevent our legislature from being so one sided, and that's
7: creating fair districts. In 2015 and 2018,
3: voters overwhelmingly approved two redistricting reforms. 10TV spoke with Ohio State political professor Herb Asher a few weeks ago. He argues it's important to note that Democrats would do the same thing if they were in power. Ohio U.S. Congressman Tim Ryan has a new challenger in his fight for Senator Rob Portman's seat. Progressive Morgan Harper jumped into the race. This sets up a new test of the left-wing strength in the Democratic Party. Morgan Harper is a Stanford-educated attorney. She began life in foster care and drew attention last year when she ran for Congress. Harper has been compared to Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She gave Congresswoman Joyce Beatty a run for her money recently in Ohio's third congressional district. Beatty ultimately won, but could the Senate be a different story? Tracy Townsend went one-on-one with Harper to ask her why she's running.
7: Give us an idea of what made you look at the landscape and say, I'm going to join this race for the Senate seat. Yeah, I mean, primary motivation is that everything is on the line right now. We have very serious threats to our democracy uh, coming from the far right. We have the threat of climate change, the Supreme Court, woman's right to choose and the ongoing economic troubles that a lot of you know, working people, small businesses are facing. And we need to win. And what we've been doing hasn't been working. And, and this campaign and my candidacy presents a, a new game plan to mobilize the key constituencies we need to turn out to flip this seat and protect the Democratic Senate majority in Washington. So what do you bring to the race that Tim Ryan doesn't have? So, you know, I'm coming from a background of not really being a, a political insider. I have, you know, worked in the community. I have had a career in standing up to powerful corporate interests. I worked at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau during the Obama administration. I've also spent the past year or so in the the realm of competition policy, standing up to big tech and consolidation across the economy that is hurting wages and, and the situation for workers and small businesses. And so I think that that perspective and that track record is the type of leadership that voters in Ohio want to have, and that is going to motivate the key constituencies we need to turn out, Black voters, young people, working class people, women, in order to, to win and, and flip the seat. So I have to tell you, in our editorial meeting, your name came up, and some people were like, how do I know her name? And a couple of us said, you'll remember, she had a pretty strong showing in the third district. Congressional primary. How do you think that is going to, or is that something that can help buoy you in the Senate race? I mean, one of the best things about our last campaign is that we were bringing in people who had given up on the political system who didn't feel like it was speaking for them who didn't trust in, in our in leaders and and offering an alternative and you know an, an alternative that is about community-based politics that's saying we have the power to know what we need for our communities and we just need our leaders to to execute that right and um, and so similarly here you know not being a political insider that's a message we want to take across the state to communities that also feel like they've been left behind to let them know that we can bring real change to our communities and that we're going to be able to mobilize them to turn out to vote. And so, you know, being able to have had that experience and now connect with folks in different parts of Ohio is going to be pretty critical for us as Democrats to win this seat.
3: Harper says she'll seek the endorsement of Senator Sherrod Brown. And let's run down the list of other major candidates. As we mentioned, Harper will run against Congressman Tim Ryan. As for the Republican candidates, they include Jane Timken. She's the chair of the Ohio Republican Party. J.D. Vance is also running. He's known as the author of Hillbilly Elegy. Former Ohio treasurer Josh Mandel is also on the list. And you'll want to mark your calendars. The general election for this is November 8th, 2022. Senator Rob Portman isn't finished yet, and he was back here in Ohio touting the infrastructure package he helped pass. You'll remember he was the lead Republican negotiator of that deal. Our sister station, WTOL, spoke with Portman at Toledo's airport.
5: Behind me, there's actually some infrastructure
0: activity right now, which is repaving... Uh, some of the tarmac to be able to lead to the runway. Of course, there are other infrastructure projects that they would love to undertake. And this new legislation that has now passed the United States Senate with a big bipartisan vote has funding for airports. In fact, there's $25 billion of funding. This is a huge increase in the amount of funding available for airports just like this. There are three different programs. Uh, We're looking forward to working with the airport as they apply for these programs. Among the new programs is one to help with regard to the terminal itself and some funding from the FAA to ensure that the air traffic control system is up to speed here.
3: The senator says the infrastructure deal will also help with broadband access across the state. Now to the governor's race. Democratic gubernatorial candidate Nan Whaley says Governor Mike DeWine can do more to require masks in schools. You'll remember Ohio's legislature stripped DeWine of any power enforcing health orders like mask mandates. But Mayor Nan Whaley says there are things he can do.
7: Governor DeWine made the tough decisions early in the pandemic. And at the time, I praised him. But when the politics got too hard, he folded.
8: That people want to make their own decisions at the local level. Uh, so we're trying this. We hope that this, this works. I mean, my obligation, I think, is to stress what the facts are.
3: Governor DeWine acknowledges that masks are the key to keeping kids in the classroom. Now, when it comes to mask mandates in our state, two places have found a way around the rule that prevents health departments from issuing orders. The city of Athens and the village of Gambier now have mask mandates in place. 10TV's Kevin Landers explains how they did it.
2: Health departments in Ohio are prohibited by Senate Bill 22 to pass any health orders. So how did a village like Gambier pass a mask mandate? They did so through its city council. The quiet village of Gambier, home to Kenyon College, is making noise after it became one of the few places in Ohio where a mask mandate is in place in all public buildings. This crisis changes on a dime, and as such, people need to be able to respond quickly. Mayor Lehman Kessler says he wished his village wasn't an outlier. There's a lot of emotions in this. There's a lot of, of heated feelings about this. We feel very confident in this decision. The village council voted four to one to approve emergency legislation to mandate masks and said its decision was based on science. From our local health department, state health department, CDC, the uh,
9: American Academy of Pediatrics, they all say that requiring masks indoors, particularly at schools at this time, as we see the Delta variants really tear their way through a lot of communities, uh, is the best way to make sure it happens.
2: Those in the community say while masks are not inconvenience they support the village's decision.
7: Stuff is raging and the longer it stays here it can mutate again and it could then affect those who got the vaccine.
10: I completely support a mask mandate everywhere until we get the delta virus the delta version uh, under control
2: enough that we're all in a much safer. The mask mandate here in Gambier is not enforceable. The sheriff has told the village it will not find people if people are caught not wearing a mask indoors. Reporting from Gambier, Kevin Landers, 10TV News.
3: The city of Athens and Oxford also passed mask mandates. Now, there is some confusion and discussion as to why the U.S. invaded Afghanistan in the first place. Coming up, we verify claims President Joe Biden made about the start of the war. When times get
7: dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Maybe you're not sure how you'll make rent, or you lost your job. When you don't know where to turn, let 211 be your guiding light. Our guides are ready to connect you with the help you need.
9: 211, how can I help you?
7: Call or visit 211.org. 211, get connected, get help. A message from United Way and the Ad Council.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Karina Nova, courtesy of 10TV.
3: President Joe Biden is pushing back at criticism of the U.S. withdrawal and the following takeover of the country by the Taliban. Brandon Lewis from our National Verify team looks into claims the president made about the U.S.'s original intentions when it began the war almost 20 years ago.
9: The United States is in the process of withdrawing American forces and allies from Afghanistan. The Taliban quickly took control of the country after the Afghan government collapsed. President Joe Biden defended the decision to leave, saying the U.S.'s original mission was only to prevent another terrorist attack after 9-11. We went to
5: Afghanistan almost 20 years ago with clear goals. Get those who attacked us on September 11th, 2001, and... Make sure al-Qaeda could not use Afghanistan as a base from which to attack us again. Our
9: mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation-building. So, let's verify. Was the original U.S. mission in Afghanistan only to fight terrorism? Our sources are the Congressional Research Service, the Council on Foreign Relations, and the State Department. Congress authorized the use of military force in Afghanistan in the days after the 9-11 attacks. The U.S. demanded the Taliban extradite Osama bin Laden and shut down al-Qaeda's training camps in Afghanistan or face an all-out war. Congress did not require establishing a democracy. When the Taliban refused, the U.S. and its allies began to wage war, and by December, the Taliban surrendered. In April 2002, President George W. Bush called for the reconstruction of Afghanistan.
2: The war
1: against terror will be long. And as George Marshall so clearly understood, it will not be enough to make the world safer. We must also work
2: to make the world better.
9: This paved the way for Afghanistan's first democratic election in 2004. So it's true, the original U.S. mission in Afghanistan was only to fight terrorism, but reconstruction quickly became a goal as the Taliban had to be replaced by some form of government. With your Verify, I'm Brandon Lewis.
3: Well, thank you all so much for being here with us today. We'll see you back here for Face the State next Sunday. Have a great day.
9: That's
0: again, Karina Nova, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project. So before you do this or this, Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. On Thursday of this week, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, held a news conference to update Ohioans on the coronavirus. Here's just a portion of it. This runs about six minutes.
10: Unfortunately, we're continuing to see our Delta wave drive COVID-19 cases ever higher, with now more than 5,000 new cases reported just yesterday, a high we saw last January. And that's been on top of many days with numbers in the 3,000s and 4,000s. Those figures are about 10 times the numbers we saw just a month ago. And as we shared yesterday, our cases per 100,000 averaged over two weeks now sit at well over 300. And remember, we were all the way down around 17 in early July and at around 50 just one month ago. That means we're seeing new cases at a rate similar to what we saw this past January and February. It's important for us to look back and think about how we were living in January and February. And as we think ahead to the future, how important it is for us to take steps to avoid these repeated waves of COVID-19 that place lives at risk and crowd our hospital beds. Now, a real concern is that our hospitals are busier than ever. The Ohio Hospital Association reports that statewide, about one in 10 patients in our hospitals are there with COVID 19. And about one out of six patients in the ICU is battling COVID 19. Somewhat alarmingly to me is that we're seeing younger adults right alongside older age groups. Now, some of that undoubtedly reflects the very good protection afforded by our vaccines to those who are 70 plus and are highly vaccinated. We've been keeping an eye on the trends and in early July, um, our hospitalizations uh, were, uh, our hospitalizations and ICU admissions were relatively stable, even decreasing slightly, with the number of patients admitted with COVID-19 hovering in the 200s, varying from 60 to 70 patients in the ICU and about 40 to 50 COVID patients on ventilators. Later in July, we began to see a real increase in hospitalizations. and As August has progressed, this increase has gotten much sharper, moving upward with a very steep incline. Although not quite as dramatic on the chart, We've also been seeing increases in our ICU admissions. And if you pull out a specific day, take July 9th, for example. On that date we had 200 people in the hospital with COVID across the state. Yesterday, we had more than 2,000. That's 10 times the amount we saw just seven weeks ago. On July 9th, there were 56 Ohioans in the ICU with COVID. And yesterday, 620. That's an increase of more than 10 times. And on July 9th, we had just 44 Ohioans on ventilators, while yesterday, 365. These are troubling facts that really have us and our hospitals very concerned. And sadly, it continues to be true that unvaccinated Ohioans are by far and away the COVID 19 patients who are filling our hospital beds. Also, now with Delta, we're seeing people of all ages get sicker quicker and requiring hospital care. Now, vaccinations are clearly our best protection. And by nearly everyone's calculation, they're our best way of ultimately declawing this virus. They're also our safest and most reliable means of alleviating future pressure on Ohio's hospitals. And while we're seeing improvement in our vaccination rates, we certainly don't have enough vaccinated or infection-based immunity yet to have these repeated variant waves under control. That said, we have crossed the 60% vaccination threshold for those 12 and older in Ohio earlier this week, and that is an outstanding and important milestone. It's important to highlight that vaccination rates among those 12 and older, not just vaccination rates for adults, are important, particularly as we continue to reinforce the importance of keeping our children in school for in-person learning as much as possible and protecting everyone eligible for vaccination from this terrible virus. Now, as more Ohioans gain robust immunity through vaccination, What we're doing is reducing the opportunities for this virus to spread, mutate, and inflict serious medical harm. And we get closer to the day when this virus can no longer upend our lives.
0: During this news conference on Thursday with Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, he was asked by a reporter whether he would recommend that Governor Mike DeWine reissue health orders, such as mask mandates.
10: Well, you know, I think that my my role is to provide good medical guidance and medical advice to share information, not just with the governor, but with the legislature, and we work very hard to do that. Uh, and uh, the, the bottom line for all of us as a highlands, though, is that regardless of whether there's an order or no order. Um, they the steps that we need to take to beat this pandemic are very clear and ones that ultimately rest with us there are ultimately decisions that require us to take a personal action and um, accept personal stake in in what's happening you've heard us talk now repeatedly in today's press conference, as as i have in other press conferences about the importance of vaccination Uh, vaccination is clearly making a difference. If we just reflect on the fact that I shared that nearly all of our hospitalizations are occurring among the unvaccinated, it really provides a a very clear illustration of the truth of what we as physicians have been speaking to in terms of the importance of every Ohioan considering getting a vaccine. And for those who can't be vaccinated or when we are entering into environments where uh, the risk of spread of the, the virus may be very high, layering on those other protective measures that served us well uh, uh, in our previous surges, masking, distancing, being mindful of hand hygiene and ventilation, all become very important and our personal decisions and responsibilities. So, You know, at the end of the day, I think that we can get a little distracted by um, uh, wondering about, um, you know, a piece of legislation or a particular um, uh, uh, governmental action from what is really most fundamental. And that is that each of us as Ohioans has to think about our role in addressing this pandemic and take the steps that are available to us to keep our friends, our families, ourselves, our coworkers safe uh, and and to get this thing behind us. I I think that we're making real progress. If you look across the world, uh, the Delta variant has had a huge impact on um, various different countries. And uh, the, the one differentiator that really seems to separate Um, those communities at greatest risk from those communities at lesser risk is rate of vaccination. And as I shared before, we're making progress on vaccines. Now, what I like to see higher vaccination levels, of course, and we're going to continue to work as medical professionals and as the state of Ohio to help get those vaccine rates higher and higher, but, but clearly what makes the most difference to a population, whether it is a country or a state or a county, is what the vaccination level is. And places with high vaccine levels do much better than places that have low vaccine levels. That really needs to be our focus.
0: That's again, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff from Thursday of this week. He's the director of the Ohio Department of Health.